Good morning, Calvary family. It's good to see you today. We always look forward to being here. It's a, a special joy for us. For us, in many ways, it's like going to camp. It's one of those times where you know you're going to be blessed, you're going to be encouraged, and we have as uh, you've allowed us to join in worship together with you this morning. We've uh, been so encouraged by this. Um, the theme this year is growing a great family at Calvary, and so one of uh, the things we try to do in our family gatherings, my poor wife, every time we're with our daughter and son-in-law and our three, almost to be four grandkids, I can tell you countless times, whether it's a day, a couple of days, or a week, she's constantly saying, now we need to get a group picture. Okay, so give me a smile. Now, that wasn't very good. You back there, you weren't smiling. So, one more time. We were watching a special the other day, and it was from a, I, I'm trying to remember what it was from. People were gathering in Times Square. Help me remember why. They were all in yellow shirts. Do you remember? It was from back in the 80s. And you know what was so striking to me? Was that no one was doing this. Or that, because we didn't have these then. Those were the good old days in some ways. <laughs> Although in other ways, these are nice uh, ob objects to have on occasion. What's your family picture look like? What is God's desire in regards to a family picture? If you could take a picture of the family of God when it's developed what does that family look like I would assume that's part of where pastor is heading as God has directed him in regards to the theme this year yeah you know, we we remember in the book of James for example chapter 1 he gives this illustration of what it means to be people of faith and living out our faith. And he says, don't be like the person who stands in front of the mirror and just does this quick glance. And then by the time they've walked away, they've already forgotten what they look like, right? I mean, obviously, they may have been referring to a follically challenged person who doesn't have to look long because there's not any hair to really worry themselves about. But it's don't just glance, look. Don't just be a hearer of the Word of God is the illustration there, but make sure that you're taking a long enough look into God's Word as a mirror to your life and to your soul, as a mirror to our composite picture as the body of Christ, that as we look intently in the mirror of God's Word, the result is that we actually resemble what is described for us in God's Word. So, what is this composite picture to look like in regards to the family of God? There is a couple, older couple, preparing for bed one night, and uh, typically the husband's already in bed, ready to go into second gear at this point in terms of his snoring, and his wife is standing in front of the mirror looking, and she's having this kind of commentary that's going on, out loud, wow, look at me, 
I'm not the woman I used to be. I mean, I'm bigger. My legs that used to be so shapely look like tree trunks now. My arms flap in the breeze. My face looks like a prune. It's full of wrinkles. With each comment, there's this long pause, and she's waiting for some reinforcement from the guy laying in bed. And if he was smart, he would get into third gear and at least pretend as if he's asleep. But finally she says, well, aren't you going to say something to cheer me up? Finally, the reply from his side of the bed is, well, your eyes are in really good shape. So, Calvary family, what you looking like these days? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, but there's a very interesting statement in Ephesians 2 that the Spirit of God directs Paul to share in regards to this new relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. And it is uh, this statement beginning in verse 19. You, therefore, no longer are strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're part of God's household, being built, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We're the household of God. We are the dwelling places of God. We know that. He shares with the Corinthian believers that, uh, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells in you. He talks about that, first of all, singularly in the, in the single uh, tense, uh, where he says that you individually, as a believer in Jesus Christ, personal relationship by repenting of your sin, coming into a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, you immediately are indwelt by the Spirit of God. He goes on later, just a, uh, in our text, a few chapters later, in the, a little later in the letter that was written to the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know, plural, corporate sense, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you. You are the household of God. That's what he says in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, a letter to the Ephesian believers. He kind of gets off to an aside. He talks about some other things, and then he comes back to this point in chapter 4. And this is where I'd like to spend our remaining moments together this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. I think to uh, appreciate again the context, the logic of what God is directing Paul to share with the believers of churches there in the region of Ephesus by extension, because the Word of God is given to all of us for our profit, for our understanding, for our growth, to get the big picture, per se, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a family of believers in this family portrait 
I think it'd be good for us to look at chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 because the parenthesis of chapter 3 is concluded and he gets back to basically the thoughts from chapter 2 verses 19 to 22. I therefore, chapter 4 verse 1, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this phrase, he ascended, what does it mean? But also, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave himself, uh, gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joining knit together by every, uh, what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Take a breath. That's one long sentence. That's why I did it that way. No punctuation in Scripture in the original manuscripts. And this is one complete thought that he shares, which is why I wanted to read it as such. That's the composite picture. When you snap the shutter, that's what you should see in the end product. Now, he shares some things preliminarily before we get to the main part of what we're going to look at in verses 12 through 16 by reminding us again, we are the household of God. That was the principle of Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 19 and following. We are the household of God. God dwells in us. We are, we are uh, led by our head, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're reminded here in chapter 4 early on that he is the head and he, Christ, is the one who gives gifts to the church. You're a gift of God to your local church. Every single one of you, saved by His grace, believing in Jesus Christ, you are a gift. Now, I know, family gatherings. We all have the weird uncle that, you know, is strange, and you know, we're glad we just get to see him once a year. If he wants to just come every other year, that might be okay. But let's just remember, we are all gifts of Christ to the church. It's by grace we're saved, right? We sang about that a lot. We were amazed by His grace. That song just always impacts me. His love's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery because why would He ever want to include you or me? It's a mystery. It's a mystery why He would ever want to be engaged with any lost sinner, but He did because of Calvary's love, because that was the Father's predetermined purpose for us. He gives gifts to the church, and He goes more specifically to say in, in verse 11, do you know that He's the one that gave you your pastor? Ouch. You got a great complaint, don't go to the complaint box in the foyer, go directly to the throne room of grace. The chief shepherd blesses his churches with under-shepherds. So he gave some to be 
pastors and teachers. That seems to be a connection there, a connected um, office, if you want to call it that. He is the one who is the shepherding teacher of the flock. And what's the goal here? How do we know that we are a growing family of believers here at Calvary Baptist? Well, that's the picture that is painted for us or the snapshot that is taken of the, of the perfect picture of the church here beginning in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're to look like Christ, basically, is the picture. We look like Christ, full of grace, full of truth. We're to look like Him. We are to minister as He did. You remember that there is a pattern in the New Testament about the way in which the body of Christ, the family of God, is built. We, we have it even very personally from the life of the Apostle Paul, and he talks about that often. He talked about it a lot with his protege, a, a, a young man that he mentored named Timothy. Often Paul alludes fact, back to the fact that he was one that was born out of due time or due season. He, was, he encountered Christ personally on the Damascus Road. Christ appeared to him, and Paul was converted. He was saved. It was a it's one of the most uh, impacting and nonsensical conversions of all human history for this man breathing threats and hating Christians and, and clapping and applauding when they were being martyred, now is a believer in Christ. And he has not only God's Spirit building into him, but he has the, the, the joy of growing in God through some wonderful mentors uh, in his early life of faith. And he talks to Timothy because the pattern goes on. We talked about the one church in uh, my presentation, the Sunday Squire, where here's this church planting pastor in Monterey, Mexico area. And by the way, there are roots to that church I found out after the Sunday Squire to this, this, literally this local church through a man here who was involved with the pastor in Monterey who was instrumental in discipling Pepe Morales. Isn't that neat? Isn't that a neat, that's just a neat story, a neat part of God's plan. So the picture of God's uh, family is, is even developed further by just what we talked about today practically. But here's Paul who has been mentored, and he's been mentored by his mentor to mentor others. So he's engaged in the life of Timothy, and he begins to build on the life of Timothy and others who, especially out of Ephesus, since uh, we're in that book, I want you to know that one of Paul's greatest aspects of ministry was in the region of Ephesus because he developed a lot of young preachers, prospective preachers, and they went out all over Asia Minor. We know that because in Acts chapter 20, he gathers them all back together to meet with them again. And he says, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, he says, Timothy, you know how I built into your life. I didn't just do that so that you would just soak it up like a sponge and hang on to it. But I want God to squeeze that out of you in your ministry. And the things that I have shared with you, I want you to now build into the lives of others. And the process continues. Timothy builds in the lives of others, and then they are to share it in the lives of others. And the next generation shares it with their generation, and then that generation takes it on, and so on and so forth. And here we are in Battle Creek, Michigan today. Someone has been doing it right, because here we are. We're all together as a part of the family of God. And that's the portrait. And he says it's all because we are to be growing up to the fullest measure to the fullest measure, not just a, a caricature, not just the negative, we are to be the full picture 
of Christ as his body, as his family, or the household of God. But there are some issues that will keep the picture from being fully developed. There are some challenges that might cause people to look at our family portrait and be misled or deceived if we're not staying focused upon what he shares here about how the Spirit of God works in us as the family of God to be a fully developed picture of God's glory and God's grace. We're going to spell a word. Can you, are you ready for a spelling bee this morning? Because I've got five points, and they each start with a letter. And once we're done with the five points, we'll spell a word. The first letter is S. He shares in verse uh, 14, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about every wind of doctrine by trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That's a mouthful. What's he talking about? What's he mean by that when he says that? Well, he's talking about the issue of the family portrait in the fact that as the picture is taken, there's stability. Now, that's hard when you got an almost two-year-old like we did a few weeks ago around Easter time trying to take a family picture and you've got, you know, Connor who is almost seven and be seven in May. You've got Eloise who just turned five in March and you've got little Malachi who isn't even two yet and you're saying, stand still. Well, you might as well be nailing jello to a wall. That'll, that'll be a greater accomplishment than getting to get three kids standing together not just standing together still in one spot, but all smiling at the same time and looking at the camera, which I've said, you know, one of the bad things about smartphone pictures is that you really can't see the lens like we used to be able to as kids, you know, you need, at least knew where to look. And so I'm pointing, look over here, look over here, you know, and so they're, you know, all over the place. For the family portrait to be clear, there has to be stability, which means you're not tossed back to and fro, not cared about by every wind of doctrine. There's, there's this tendency in the family of God to be so whimsical, to be so distracted, so that the newest and greatest comes along, we think, oh, we've got to go that direction. Or we hold our finger up and God help you if you try to do this in our culture today and figure out which way the wind's blowing. There's so much hot air blowing around, you can't figure out which way it's going and where it came from. You just know it's hot and I want out of here. Tossed to and fro like being in the wind and watching the leaf fall out of the tree and boom, boom, or a feather drop from the top of a high building and watching all the wind currents and drafts just kind of let it float all over the place. That's not the picture. See, what is shared in verse 14 is the antithesis of what the picture should look like, which is why I use the word stability. He's given us the, the, uh, the exact opposite of what the church should look like. Don't be like those who just, you know, are on a whim all the time. And, oh, wow, you know, I've read this. This is the latest and greatest, and so let's go this direction. No, remember, what's our mirror? The Word of God, right? You look in the mirror, and you focus, and you look for what that means for you as an individual and for us as a family. So be stable. Don't be going back and forth with everything, but be stable in the way in which you live your life, which means there is growth. I mean, every year the family picture should look a little different, right? 
because not only do the kids grow up into teen, teenage years, and then they go from the pimply teenage years to early adulthood, and then, you know, and you laugh at the styles that everyone's wearing from time to time, but there's got to be change. And you know what? If, if you just have the same family there with each picture, then after a while, there's going to be missing parts until finally it's just a self-portrait, and then you're gone. There's growth. There's new life. There are new people that are, that are brought into the family. There's little baby Christians and all that. And what he's saying is, that's not bad. It's not that you, bad that you have baby Christians, but they just can't stay there. There's got to be this issue of maturity and development and discipleship and mentoring that takes place that brings stability to the body of Christ. I mean, I love stopping. I did today. I met Autumn back here a little bit ago, and she's a neat little girl, and, and we were interacting. I asked her if her nickname is Fall, and she didn't know how to respond to that. I thought, I'm just glad I get to get out of here for kids' time later on. And, uh, but we've got these issues where people just aren't growing up. I don't mind looking into a little baby bed or into a stroller and looking down and seeing a cute little face greeting back at me, but if I look in the, in the baby stroller and it's an it's a 80-year-old man with whiskers and they're pushing him around, and I think, he's got a problem, and so do we. And the body of Christ does at times because we're not growing up. So, don't be tossed back and forth. Let there be stability in the way in which you're living your life. Look at verse 15. But, letter O, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Where do you get O out of verse 15? I get it out of the word T-R-U-T-H. When he says speaking the truth, it's actually not just the fact that we're out talking about truth all the time, but it's literally living it out in our lives. It's that... It's that um, uh, the old uh, English word in the King James talking in uh, Ephesians 5 about let your conversation be seen by all. It's not just the, you know, that you're chatting with people, but it's your manner of living. The fact that your life talks a message. Here he says, speaking the truth. The issue is, oh, obedience. We're living it out. We're speaking the truth. We are living it out in everything that we do. And so the family portrait, if it's going to be proper, if it's going to be effective in representing Jesus Christ and we're going to effectively represent Him as the household of faith, we are, we are obedient. We are literally, the word could be translated here, we are truthing it in the way in which we live it. Uh, it's connected with love, and if you've already guessed, that's going to be the third word, L, love. It's, it's this issue of the fact that we are truthing it in love. There's this trafficking in the family of God that when we're together and when we're conversing and when we're living and we're acting out our lives, the truth fills in a lot of the picture. It's actually the background that gives the rest of the colors their brilliance because it's done not just in the truth, but living the truth, truthing it as he is describing it here. It's a sign actually of whether we're growing up or we're growing, just growing older. A, a truthful person never goes out of season. A truthful church is effective and relational regardless of how the winds of culture blows. I really get upset with the fact that churches are not looked at the way they should be, according to the Word of God, as the 
as the greatest gatherings of higher education. Do you understand what I mean by that? If people want to know the truth, then they should know, if I want to know the truth, all I need to do is be involved with Christians, with believers in Jesus Christ, with local churches where the truth of God is proclaimed. Why should someone with a Harvard degree or someone with whatever degree you you consider to be the greatest, why should that be something that would cause us to go, whoa, Harvard educated? No, whoa, child of God. Trafficking in truth every single moment of every single day of their life. Those are the people that I, whose opinion I really value because it's not going to be based upon some matter of leverage, some political persuasion. It's going to be based upon this is what God says. Thus says the Lord. S, stable. O, obedient. L, love. It's balanced, right? It's not just truth, so you just say, well, you're a jerk. Well, I don't like the way you look. Well, I don't need this or that. No, it's truth balanced with love. You're truthing it literally in love. They're connected there in the, in the original. This is, it, uh, love doesn't compromise the truth. Love tempers the truth and helps it to be applied in a way that is, that is biblically edifying and effective. Biblical love is always unselfish. Biblical love is always other-minded. It's not selfish and self-centered and I'm, I'm just living out the motions of love just so I can get from you what I want. It's true love, biblical love. It's truthed love, love in action that is serving, that makes the truth that we live believable. I mean, you watch the screen during uh, His love still ama- or His grace still amazes me. And you're looking at the life of Jesus Christ, and I liked how uh, the person who put that together, the, the Scripture text come up, and the first word you see is amazed. That's the picture of what Paul is talking about here. We live our lives out as individual believers. We live our lives out as a family of God corporately, and when people see what is going on in our lives, and by the way, they know you. They know that you're a mechanic at the local shop. They know that you're a teacher in the local school. They know that you're a dropout. They know that you've been a drug addict. They know that you've been an alcoholic. They know your life B.C., before Christ. And now they see you because of the impacting work of God's grace through the gospel, and they say, whoa, that is amazing. That is truth in it in love. S, stable. O, obedient. L, loving. I, Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working of which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I, we are involved. We are interactive. It's a picture of the body. We're the family of God. We are a picture of the body of Jesus Christ. We are involved. We are engaged with one another. You remember Paul, going back again to the Corinthian church, uh, trying to illustrate it there, talks about uh, the church as a body, as a family. And he says, you know, aren't you glad not everyone's an eye? You know, it would have been a bizarre thing today to watch 
the foyer doors open and a bunch of eyeballs come rolling in to find their spots all over the auditorium. Or to see a bunch of livers come flopping in. But somehow, depending upon where you see yourself in the body of Christ, somehow we think that we're the one. Or we see someone else do something, you know, wonderful singing this morning. I think, oh, wow, God, I just wish I had a voice like that. Could you just transform my... I don't even know if you want to describe his vocal cords, but do something with these things in my neck so that I could sound like that. No, you praise God because he's gifted his body. He's the one who gives gifts to the church. And you have been designed by Christ and in Christ to be an involved, engaged part of the body of Christ. Everyone fitting together. I have never met one of my ligaments, but I am so glad they're there. I'm glad right now. I'm standing upright right now. may not look great to you, but I want you to know I'm glad my knee ligaments are working, not like the outfielder for the Cubs that's out for the season now, tore his knee up, running into another outfielder because he normally is a catcher and, you know, didn't know that when you're in the outfield, you don't wear a catcher's mask, I guess. I don't know what happened there, but I'm glad my ligaments work. I'm glad my heart's beating. I haven't been standing here while I've been trying to do, talk to you and multitasking, thinking, okay, beat again, beat again, beat again beat again. Lungs, <gasps> diaphragm, <gasps> we're the body. We're involved. We integrate together. And when you look at the family portrait, that's got to be a part of it. We're not all bucking for the front. We're not all bucking for the same role. We're not all one big eyeball or one big ear or thankfully, you know, I'm not in charge of hair in my role. It's just, it's, we're all a part of the body. We're involved. And to wrap it all up, he paints the entire portrait of the family with brush strokes of Jesus Christ. The last letter, if you haven't guessed, is the letter D, and you're saying, where are you going to get that out of here? There's the issue of dependency. We have some people who are going, yeah, I got it right. Dependency upon Christ. The only way our photo will come into focus is if we're all focused upon Christ. Not squabbling, wanting our own way. Not bucking for position or authority. Not thinking, well, I'm useless, so I'll just kind of shrink into the shadows and wait until Jesus calls me home. No, we are all significant because we're insignificant but our sufficiency and significance is in Jesus Christ you notice how often the name of Christ comes up in this entire text and that's no accident because we aren't even in the family and we can't have a portrait without Jesus we're growing up in Christ we're dependent upon Christ. Christ is the one who gives gifts. Christ is the one who, who has framed the way that we are together. Christ is our head. On and on and on, Paul talks in this entire passage about those things. And so, when we pull out our smartphone or we take our camera out and we want to take a picture of the body of Christ, if it's going to be in focus, it's based upon the principles that we've learned here. So, here we go. 
we're about to go out the doors and out into our lives this afternoon. We go into a week that we don't, we have our plans, we've got our schedules, we know what we think is going to happen, but we really have no idea. But God does. One thing I do know is that we walk out of here today, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we walk out together as the family of God. So, what does that mean? I was talking with Randy before the Sunday school hour, and he was sharing about the fact they've had kids go to Cedarville, which is 20 miles south of my hometown, and two of their kids and their spouses, or one spouse and one single gal, uh, live in my hometown. They actually are living, and they are worshiping at a church that's literally a mile and a half from where I grew up. Pray for them. It's a rough area. When you go to Cedarville, if you've been down there at all, you've heard of a place called Young's, Young's Jersey Dairy. Young's, when we were kids, was just a, a barn, and you would go there and you get ice cream, and they humorously call one of their favorites there cow patty. Well, literally, when you used to go to Young's when we were kids, before health laws got really significant, you'd be watching out for cow patties as you're walking up to get your ice cream cone. Well, now they're really sophisticated. It's just this mammoth complex, uh, mammoth business. And there were strong winds that went through here last week. They went through that area. They blew the cow off the sign, if you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to Young's, they got this big Jersey cow up on top of the sign. Well, poor Bessie fell off during the storm. She's okay. She's being restored. But anyway, you go to Young's. And we've done that often. We go meet our family down there, and we take our grandkids, our nieces and nephews, and they've got this piece of plywood out in front of Young's. And it's painted. It's a pretty neat painting. And it's a picture of people in bizarre sizes and shapes and outfits. And it's kind of weird because there's no heads. But they've, someone's cut the little half circles out. And so you go behind this. There are four bodies there. And you go behind this and you stand there and you plop your head down. So we were there a couple years ago. And so I looked at my wife and her two sisters and their aunt who was with them, who used to drive them around everywhere where she, when she was a teenager and they were young girls. I said, why don't you go behind the sign and I'll take your picture? And I did. And I laughed. And so did everyone else. And we've sent it out as blackmail all over the country now. And it's funny. And it's intended to be so. But let's just think of this. We're the body of Christ. Here's a piece of plywood up on the platform. And we, by the way in which we live our lives and the way in which we look into the mirror of God's Word, we paint a picture of the body of Christ. And yes, there is a notch cut out, semicircle. Who's the head of the body? Jesus Christ. And he walks behind what we've painted, and he sticks his head on there. And my question for you, Calvary Baptist Church, is when people see that, will they laugh? Will they mock? Or will they go, let me get my smartphone. Let, let, me, let me get a picture of that. Because that fits. The head matches the body.
That's our goal. That's our calling. That's the family portrait. That our Savior, our Lord, our glorious head desires from us. So as we walk out of here today, that's our assignment. Be the family of God, the household of God. Represent Him well. Quit goofing off. Quit getting blown around by the whimsical opinions of mankind. Quit worrying about your status. You've got more status than you could ever want or deserve because you're a child of God. So truth and in love, interact together in the assignment that your head, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given you as a body of believers. And go out dependent upon Him to impact this world and show them what true family values and what true family joy is all about when you know Christ. Father, help us to do that now as we leave this place today. This is not the church where we're gathered. This is a building to house the household of God. And we recognize that today, and we recognize as we go out of here today that this is just an empty building. The church, the family of God, the household of faith goes out and represents you in a lost and dying world. And we would pray this morning that as we go out, we'll go out with great excitement and great joy, amazed at your grace and your love, and representing that and illustrating it by the family portrait of our lives to those in this community and in this region and in this world. Forgive us, we pray, for being sinful and selfish and self-centered and self-motivated at times, wanting our way, wanting new ways, wanting to be prominent when you're the head, you're to be the focal point. Forgive me and forgive us for shunning those who are part of the body, thinking they're unimportant because they're not attractive as what I represent. Help us to realize that we all are interconnected and we all are intertwined and integrated into the great cause of glorifying our Savior. And help us today to make an impact upon Battle Creek. It's a great community. It's a, it's a hurting community. And these folks need to see a picture of Jesus. We can do that. that we know that because that's what you've called us to. So help us to honor you by doing that as we honor you. Truth in it and love for your honor and glory, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.